So how many licks does it take to get to the center or the core of a Tootsie Pop? Man, I'll tell you, it's hard. I can't give you guys a legitimate and scientific answer because there's lots of different opinions out there. Um, there, there are, are, what do we got here? Purdue University. Yeah, Purdue University actually made a lollipop licking machine. I guess they don't have tongues out there in that part. Uh, and so they made a machine to lick and try and figure this out. 364 licks it took them. University of Michigan made another machine, some other tongueless people apparently, and they made uh, 411 licks, okay? Now, the brilliant people from Swarthmore Junior High School who actually have tongues, it only took them 144 licks to get to the center of that Tootsie Pop. So I can't give you, you know, an, an exact answer. I can give you these averages. But here's what I can say is you saw the core of that Tootsie Pop. And we've been talking for the last several weeks about the core of our lives. The fact that every one of us has this inmost place. If you were to remove sort of the shell and the outer coverings, you would find this inmost place deep inside of us where you find some really important things. You find our core values and our core behaviors. And what we've been seeing here in this series is that our core values are what we believe matters most, right? What we believe matters most. Deep inside you, you can find what you believe matters most, and that's what you value most. Then you have your core behaviors, and your core behaviors are what you do in response to what you value, Okay, so if this is kind of seeming a little bit strange and you're trying to get your your mind around all this, please check out Core Part 1 on our podcast because we really laid a lot of foundation that first week. But basically what we've been trying to get across is this idea that our values deep inside us drive our behaviors. These deep values, these places we find deep inside of us, these values are really pushing us to behave in certain ways. And the easiest ways to say it is this. We value certain things, so we behave in certain ways. And we can find that that's true in all of our lives. You value certain things, and they've driven you in life to behave in certain ways. It's true of you. It's true of me. It's true of our church. Churches value certain things at this deep place in their core, and it drives our behavior. So the question we've been asking through this series is this. If, if that's true, if our values drive our behavior, then are we valuing the right things? That's a really important question, right? Are we valuing the right things? Because if that's, gonna, if that's gonna end up driving the entire behavior of my life, then man, I better be valuing the right things. And here's, here's what we've been trying to get across as well, is this idea that right values lead to right behaviors, which lead to right roads. That's so important, right? We as a church wanna be on right roads. We want each of you individually to be on the right roads. And here's what we've been saying as well, is that these behaviors that get us on the right roads, they don't save you, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here tonight and you thought church was all about rules and behavior like I'm talking about tonight, you're going, yeah, this is exactly what I thought it was. It's all about behavior to impress God. No, no, no. See, here's what I want you to know so clearly is that one thing saves you and I, and that's Jesus' death. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later, but that's it. One thing saves you and I. I'm not a good person who got myself to where I am. No, Jesus saved me. And then once I'm in that relationship with Jesus, he says, Doug, I want to bless your life. And you know what? I want you to be on these certain roads. If you end up on that road or that road, you're going to end up breaking your life apart. You're going to be miserable on those roads. So here, stay on this road. And on this road, I will bless you. This is a blessable road. So my values drive my behavior, which gets me on this blessable road. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want you to be. That's where I want our church to be. So as a staff, about a year ago, we sat down and we said, what should we value? As a church, what should we help the people in our church value as individuals? Because those values will drive our behaviors. So we've talked about three things so far, three core values and behaviors. And I'll just give them to you real quick. Christ-centeredness, that was our first one. 
And then in week two, we talked about the Holy Spirit's leading and power. And then last week, we talked about the importance of genuine community. So you can check out those messages on the podcast if you missed them. But tonight, we're going to talk about something new. We're going to talk about discipleship. Now, that's kind of a churchy word. What does that mean? Well, I'll help you understand. But, but I want you to know we value discipleship. Okay, That's our fourth core value I want to share with you guys today. And because we value discipleship, we behave in certain ways. And here's, here's what I got for you. You guys can check out the screens here. Discipleship causes us to behave in this way. We baptize, train, and develop people to be genuine followers of Jesus. That's how we want to behave. That's what we want to see happen. Um, if you're wondering what discipleship means, the easiest way to understand it is those last few words, genuine followers of Jesus. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. That's what discipleship means, to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'll let you in on a secret. Last week, we talked all about community, right? We talked about how genuine community leads to spiritual growth, right? It's vital for it, right? And so here's what i got to tell you. Really, the best way that we know to make disciples and develop people is through community, it's what we talked about last week. That was Jesus' model. He said, I got three and a half years to change the world. I'm going to get 12 guys together, and we're going to live in community, and we're going to do life together, and their lives will be transformed. So that's the best answer I can give you for discipleship. And so we talked about that last week, and so really you know how we make disciples so we can close in prayer. So God, we, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you guys were like, well, that was the best message ever. It was like three and a half minutes. And I don't know, you're like, not getting off that easy tonight. Um, no, see, there's other things we do as well to help us grow as disciples. Okay, we're doing it right now. One of the things we do to try to help you be a genuine follower of Jesus is our services on Sundays, our services on Friday nights for youth. It's our community groups like we talked about last week. It's our, our volunteer teams. It's counseling. It's deeper. It's even our events. Everything we do is aimed at helping people become these disciples, these followers of Jesus. All right, so if we got all that out already then, what do we have to talk about for the rest of the night? Well, here's what I want to focus on. Being that you know how we make disciples, I really want to focus on the kind of disciples we're looking to make. And it's those last several words, genuine followers of Jesus. I really want to focus on that word genuine tonight. Because, you know, we could fill a room, we could fill a few rooms, we could get all these people together, and that would be great. But if we're not genuine, then really, what is it all for? What's it all about? You see, I think the reason it's so important to talk about being genuine is because there are so many people who claim, claim to be Christians who are not genuine, right? I mean, if I see another like, musician or athlete win an award and claim to thank Jesus Christ for his personal salvation and all that, it's like, that's funny because the movie you got the award for, you said the F word like a thousand times in it, all right? So that's kind of ironic, right? But everybody loves to you know, praise Jesus and this and that. But man, where's that real genuine heart? Like on a deep personal level, where's just that genuineness? You see, I think that's something that we can struggle with. And it's something that we start, we start to even feel a little bit uncomfortable with. This idea of being genuine or not being genuine. Well, am I? Am I the real thing or am I not? Am I playing the game or am I actually following Jesus? How do I know? And so I want to help us kind of understand that tonight. But this is so huge. It's such a big deal because, you know, I just don't think the world around us can handle any more disingenuous Christians, you know? I think they've seen enough, haven't they? You know, I, I just think they need to see the real thing. I think they need to see what a real follower of Jesus looks like. Now, let me just put you at ease a little bit because you're getting a little nervous. And, and, and here's maybe what you're thinking. Doug, if you're telling me that to be a genuine follower of Jesus, I need to be perfect, then I'm not a follower. I'm not a disciple because I know how, how much I fall short from that standard of perfection. So I'm out. Well, here's what I want to tell you tonight. 
It does not say on that screen, we want to baptize, train, and develop people to be perfect followers of Jesus. It doesn't say that because we know that's not, that's not a reality this side of heaven. But genuine is a big deal. So let me help you understand, I think, what genuine means. You see, when someone is not genuine, when someone is saying, all right, I'm a Christian, and then they're not genuine, it really boils down to this. It boils down not to the fact that they stumble. It boils down to the fact that they stumble and they're okay with it. That's what the distinction is. You see, if you and I are sinning in certain areas, we're doing what God doesn't want us to do, we're getting off on these unblessable roads, we're making a mess of our lives, and we're just okay with it, and we're just fine with that, we have no plans to surrender that part of our heart to God and allow him to take it and to put all the pieces back together, then I think we have an issue with being genuine. You know, I mean, this is us when we say one thing and do another, and we're okay with it. It's one thing to say something and have a goal and fall short of that goal. And when you fall short, you have a heart for God still. And you're going, oh man, I can't believe this or that. And we're going to talk about what all that looks like and how that should be handled when we, when we stumble a little later in the message. But, but it's a very different thing when you and I say one thing and do another. And we're just okay with it. We just kind of have no plans of changing or, or believing that God could do anything in our heart to make things new or different. Right? If you're a family here tonight, you know, this is, this is like the, the family that's always inviting the neighbors to church, but the neighbors know how miserable the family is, and they're like, why would I go to your church? You look miserable, more miserable than me, you know, right? So they, they hear us invite them to church, and they see us get all dressed up and go to church on Sunday. Well, we don't get dressed up here, actually, you know. You got to be careful when you say Sunday best at our church, because people will show up in like flip-flops, jeans, and a Dr. Pepper shirt, right? But, but they see us get in the car and drive to the church together, right? And they're going, oh, come on, just be the real thing, right? Be the real thing. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have bad moments in our family. And even the most genuine Christian is going to have times when he wishes he was a little bit different in front of his neighbors than he is. But the question is, are we okay with it? Is that the norm? I think the the disingenuous Christian is the one who says, hey, man, I I screw up all the time. I'm all right with it and just... This is, this is my life. This is what it looks like. This is what a Christian looks like. Yeah, yeah, you can watch me. This is, this is what Christians do. They just mess up. They don't really care, and they just keep on going. See, that's the problem, right? It's, it's the person who, in the workplace or at school, right, bashes the teacher behind their back or bashes the coworker or friend behind their back or laughs at the same dirty joke everybody else does, and they're okay with it. See, that's the problem. It's when we're okay with it, when we're not seeking for God to do something deeper and bigger in our lives. I think if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you drove by tonight and you saw all the cars and you said, hey, I'm gonna go check that place out. And you're sitting here and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus. I think one of the reasons you're unsure about God is because maybe you just met too many people who call themselves Christians. Maybe you just met too many people who say one thing and do the other and they're okay with it. And so I'm glad you're here tonight because I think you need to know that we recognize this is a problem. And we want to see change happen. And I hope tonight that you'll listen in because there's some really powerful things that I think you'll hear when it comes to maybe your, your questions about God and what he might want to do in your life. And so tonight we're going to look at what a genuine follower of Jesus looks like, a genuine disciple looks like. And this guy Peter, who was one of Jesus' followers and disciples, is going to help us out. And really we're going to see two things, okay? This is what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see what a genuine follower aims their life at. What, what, what should I be aiming my life at, Doug? If you're telling me I'm supposed to be this disciple, this genuine follower, what does that look like? What do I aim my life at? And then secondly, Peter's going to help us understand why we should aim our lives at it, right? Which I love because Peter, 
could pull the old thing your parents used to pull. I hate this. Remember this? When you were a kid and you'd say something, some of you guys still are kids. You're like, yeah, I remember. I'm still it, okay? But, but remember when you'd say something and you'd ask for something and your parents would be like, no. And you'd be like, why? And because I said so. You guys remember that, okay? Um, I was a kid once and I said, I, when I get older and I have kids, I will never say that. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm not very genuine because I do it all the time, okay? I say it all the time. And I know you tell yourself now you won't do that. You'll do it when you're a kid and it feels so good. It's amazing, okay? But Peter doesn't do that. Peter doesn't do that. No, Peter says, all right, I'm going to show you what to aim your life at. But I'm going to tell you why it's so important. I'm going to tell you why you really, really want to get in on this tonight. All right, so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And really, everything Peter boils is everything down here for. He, everything he has to motivate us with is this idea. All that God's done for us and all that God wants to do through us. Peter, why should I listen to what you have to say tonight? Because of all that God's done for you and because of how much God wants to use you. Because of all that God's done for you and all that God wants to do through you. That's how Peter really motivates us tonight. And so what do we aim our lives at? Why do we aim our lives at it if we want to be these genuine followers of Jesus? So 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he starts out just saying, okay, let's just kind of wake up. Let's be alert. Let's be sober. Let's be ready. He's not talking about, you know, drunkenness sober. He's talking about like sober, like self-controlled, like your mind not hazy and foggy with all kinds of other cares and distractions. Let's just be ready and alert and ready for what God has for us because Jesus is coming back one day. So, so be genuine. Be the real thing. And then he goes on, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now we know here, with these first three words, that Peter was not a parent because he uses obedient children as a great example here, okay? We know Peter was married, probably didn't have kids because he goes, you know those obedient children? Like, what? what? I've never seen one. What, what's what are you talking about? What's an obedient child, okay? But, but he says, okay, look, just imagine there's such a thing as an obedient child, all right? Now, now just think about how everybody around them is doing certain things and getting themselves into trouble, but these kids are just they're just keeping focus, and they're staying on the right road, and they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing. He's like, just like that. Don't get pulled aside. Don't get pulled away by all the other distractions that are out there. And then we start to see what we should be aiming at. We see real clearly in verse 15. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. What does it mean to be a genuine follower? What does it mean to be a disciple? What do I aim my life at? You aim your life at holiness. That's what it looks like to be genuine. That's what the world so badly wants to see. They want to see Christians who are holy. They might not like us. They might not like what we stand for. But I just think it would be refreshing for the people around us to be able to look at our lives and say, hey, I don't agree with what they say. In fact, I'm kind of offended by some of the stuff they say or do. But ultimately, it's just cool to see somebody who says one thing and they live it. They're genuine. They're aiming at holiness. So what does holiness mean? Well, I have a definition for you. If you look this up in the Greek, you find this. Holiness is being dedicated to and reserved for God and God's service. And so Peter here is saying, hey, let's be dedicated to God. That's what genuine is. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's to be dedicated to God and for God's service. Reserved, set apart, set aside, different, stand out from 
the crowd in a good way, not in an annoying way. There's lots of Christians who stand out from the crowd in a really annoying, obnoxious way. And that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about standing apart from the crowd in good ways. What does that look like? Well, I think it means the way we use our eyes, the way we use our bodies, the way we use our mouths, our speech. It's our integrity at work in school. It's the way we entertain ourselves. It's the way that we talk to our spouses or our kids or our parents. It's the way that we seem to find friendship and, and what groups we're drawn to and what things we get ourselves into with those groups. See, it's, it's, it's really every area of our life, our time, our talent, our money, our energy, our speech, our body, our entertainment, all of it. Just saying, okay, God, I'm gonna aim this at being used by you. I'm gonna aim this at being holy and genuine, reserved for you. And so that's what Peter tells us to aim at. That's what genuine looks like. Well, why? Peter, now you gotta motivate me. Don't just say I told you so or because I say so, right? Why? And he starts out and he gives us the first reason. He says, verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. God's going, hey, be inspired by the fact that I'm the real thing. God's going, hey, guess what? When I say something, I do it. I follow through. I promise you things. I deliver. My love is unfailing like we sung about tonight. My love is, is not conditional. My love is not based on this or that or how you did or performed today. No, my love is the real, genuine, true thing. And so... Let that inspire you. Respond to me. See, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, all right, so here we are again, just like I thought in church, be holy, do this, don't do that. No, see, hear what God's saying. He's saying, hey, look, you're in this relationship with me and because of that, let let what I've done for you impact you. Let it inspire you. I'm not just saying things here that are meaningless. I'm saying, no, hey, I am holy. I'm set apart. I'm committed to loving you and being the genuine real thing. So be like me. Then he says in verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now when he says fear, he's not talking about like be afraid of God. You know, I think better translation of that word is the word revere. Revere God. Revere the idea that, hey man, you only have so much time here before you stand before God. So be the real thing. Live it out. Do what God's called you to do. And so when others lie, stand up for truth. When others hold on to angerness and unforgiveness, stand up for grace and mercy. When everybody else gets dragged off into impurity and they're okay with it, don't be okay with it. Look to God to do something bigger. Huge reason, huge motivator coming up to be holy, to aim our lives at holiness. Ready? Verse 18. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So here's what he's saying in these verses. This is so powerful. Hey, guess what? You weren't redeemed because like your uncle Sal left you some inheritance that had written on it, hey, you know, redeem Doug from all his sin. You know, cash this in at the local bank and, you know, let, let Doug know that I left him this gold and this silver and my savings and all this stuff and he's okay now because I left him that. No, he's saying, look, The reason you're redeemed is because Jesus got on the cross for you. He took your place. Like if you're wondering here tonight, why be holy? Let love motivate you. Let the love of God motivate you. Let what Jesus did for you on the cross motivate your life to say, okay, 
I want to live for him. Look what he did for me. Look what he did for you. Look what he gave for me. Look how he died for me. Look how he suffered in my place. So God, out of love for that, out of amazement at that, I'm gonna aim my life back at you. I'm gonna aim my life at holiness. I wanna be the real genuine thing. In the next few verses, Peter goes on about all that Jesus has done for us. And then in 1 Peter 2, we see this. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He says, look, just get rid of all that stuff that makes you not genuine. Get rid of all that stuff that the world looks at and says, why are you like that? I don't agree with you. I don't necessarily like you, but just be the real thing. Be genuine. Aim your life at holiness. I think that the world would love to see that. Now, some of you guys are feeling kind of beat up. I get it. It's a hard message, man. You guys are like, yo, fourth week as lead pastor, he's out. Get rid of this guy, right? He's coming down hard tonight, right? All right. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. In fact, the rest of the message is really going to be encouragement. Because what you find next in the next few verses is some incredible news. We skip, we're going to skip down a few verses and we're going to see what Peter says next. And the truth is, if you're sitting here tonight and you're going, Doug, I don't know how to do holiness. I, I feel like I'm always messing up. I feel like I'm always falling short. I don't know how to do the holiness thing. And I want these verses to encourage you because the truth is, and what we're going to see here in these next few verses, is that God is working in you to make you holy. Like you, you maybe have felt so far in the message like all the weight's been on you. Like, hey, do this, do that, do this. But what if the Holy Spirit is actually at work in your life and he's got the same goal that Peter has for us? That if you were to look at your life and say, okay, I'm going to aim my life at holiness, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, that's exactly what I'm here for. That's exactly what I want to do in you. That's exactly what I want to do for you. And so look at what it says. It says, but you are a chosen people. So God chose you. That means he loves you. The royal priesthood. God thinks of you like royalty. Like, man, you are something special. You walked in here insignificant, feeling beat up, feeling like all I could do is sin. And God's looking at you going, don't you know who you are? A holy nation. God's called you holy. A people belonging to God. You're not just out on your own. You belong to somebody. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So one, one time you and I, we just lived in total darkness. Man, we couldn't see a thing. And God opened our eyes, brought us into light. And I love this. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. In other words, once you didn't really belong anywhere, you were just kind of off doing your thing. But now you're mine, God's saying. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so, yeah, holiness matters. Aim your life at God. Um, Do all that you know to do to live a holy life. But know this, too that God calls you holy and God has chosen you and God is at work in your life trying to do the same exact thing. Kind of the big scary church word for this is sanctification. That the Bible tells us we're supposed to be sanctified and be working on this, which really means be making yourselves holy. But we also find out that the Holy Spirit is working on it as well. And so here's what I want you to understand. As we talk about being holy, you're not in this alone. Really, what God's trying to get across to you tonight is that the Holy Spirit just wants you to cooperate with him. As he's trying to lead you away from those unblessable roads, those roads that are going to lead to brokenness and pain. Those roads that want to take you down disingenuous paths. Holy Spirit's there nudging, saying, hey, I'm with you. I want to lead you to good things. Let this next verse motivate you. Verse 11. 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Look at these last several words. Which wage war against your soul. I don't know about you. I don't normally think of sin like that, right? Like when I'm tempted by something, you see the attractiveness of it. You think of how much it's going to please you. But Peter calls sin out for what it really is. He says, it wages war against you. Like some of you feel literally like you're at war. Like there's this stuff in your life that, that we all feel sometimes is just so overwhelming. And it's like, I just want to be free of this, even the temptation of this. And here Peter's trying to say, yeah, that's because the stuff that we give into that's less than God, the stuff we settle for, it wages war against us. It's not our friend. And so be motivated again. Another reason. Yeah, Jesus died for you. Yeah, God's holy. Yeah, we're only here for a time. But, but sin wages war against us. It's never going to satisfy. And so then he gives us one more thing, which I think is so powerful. Verse 12. I love this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, I love that. I'm so motivated by that. Because what that is saying is that if you and I will be genuine, if we will aim at holiness, people around us, though they may accuse us of doing wrong, they may not like us all that much, they may may make fun of us, they may mock us, they may completely disagree with us, but some of them are going to see our good deeds, our genuineness, and they're going to glorify God. That means they're going to put their faith in Jesus. They're going to see God for who he is. So, You and I should aim our lives at holiness because of what's been done for us. Saved by grace. Jesus' death on the cross. Not through some inheritance from some family member. Not through money, but through the death of Jesus. So we're called his. We're called royal. We're called holy. We're called all these great things. The Holy Spirit's in us to help us and nudge us along. And so that's all about what's been done for us. But now what about what could be done through us? See, what if you and I aimed our lives at holiness and before we knew it, the people around us started to aim their lives at holiness. The people who have wanted nothing to do with Jesus began to put their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus. I think that's so incredibly powerful and so motivating. What could happen at your school? What could happen at your workplace? What could happen in your family and your neighborhood and your friendship group if you would begin to aim your life at holiness? I think God could do such powerful things through you. Now, some of you guys are still feeling really uneasy because you know that you fall a lot. You struggle a lot. You want to be what I'm talking about, but you know you're not. So what do you do with that? Well, thankfully, we don't just have what Peter wrote. We also know how Peter lived. We know Peter had some flaws, Really big flaws. We know that there were times in Peter's lives he messed up more than you and I probably ever will. And so Peter's going, okay, aim your life at holiness. But we can see in Peter a genuine guy who stumbled sometimes, but God still used. Let me give you some examples. Remember that time that Jesus called him Satan? It's a bad day, man. That's rough, man. I just imagine Peter like calling his wife, yo, been on this trip, it's been awesome, man. Jesus healing people, multiplied bread, like all this cool stuff, turned water into wine, or just so cool. But, 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 but he called me Satan that one day, and uh, I, I think I may have misheard him 
Maybe he was calling me satin, like I'm smooth. I don't know, but, but, but you know, but, but, so that's a bad day, okay? That's a bad day if you're Peter. Then there's the day where he took the sword and chopped off the guy's ear. You know, I'm just guessing you haven't done that this week, okay? I'm just, just a guess, right? There's the time when Peter and Paul, later, had this big disagreement, and Paul had to publicly rebuke Peter. I wonder why. Well, it was because... He was one way with one group of people and he was another way with a different group of people. That's, I think that's called hypocrisy, isn't it? And then, of course, the famous one, right? Where Peter denies Jesus. Where he's asked, as Jesus has been arrested and Peter is out there and he's hanging out with people in this courtyard area and these people begin to say, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And he, he says, no, I'm not. And this happens multiple times to the point where he starts screaming and cursing and and, and just distancing himself from anything that would resemble or follower of Jesus. So they'd leave him alone. And so we know Peter's failures. Now here's the thing about Peter. Peter had a genuine heart. He fell. He fell a lot. But he had a genuine heart. Because here's what we know about him. Is that one day he was out fishing. And Jesus shows up on the beach after the resurrection. And Peter goes Forrest Gump and jumps off the boat while it's still, still moving in the water. And he swims to the shore. And Peter and Jesus have this conversation. And Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, hey, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, of course, I love you. And Jesus asks him again. And then a, a third time. And you can see Peter's brokenness in the conversation and his, his sadness at his failure, his sadness that Jesus has to ask him three times, if you love me. But he responds, yes, every time. And then Jesus says, then go feed my sheep. Go do what I've trained you to do these three and a half years as we've lived in this community together. At the same time, you have another guy named Judas, right? And he fell short. And he betrayed Jesus at the same, same time. But G- Judas wasn't genuine. And Judas' story ended then, while Peter's story continued. Why? What was it? I'll tell you what it was. It was Peter's repentance. It was Peter's brokenness in the midst of stumbling and falling short. You see, Peter learned that to come back to Jesus in that moment when he had aimed at holiness but fallen short, he needed to be broken before Jesus. And he needed to turn away from the sin that he got himself into. You see, here's what I would guess about you, some of you here tonight. You just feel like what you've done and, and what you've let people around you see has ruled you out from ever being used by God again. And you know what? Peter probably would have thought the same thing. In fact, Peter, just 40 days after he had denied Jesus, was standing in, this, in the city preaching to probably many people who had heard him curse and swear and say he wasn't a follower. But Jesus had this, or Peter had this genuine heart, and God saw that. And, and here's what I need you to know, is that when you and I fall short, and we're aiming at holiness, but we keep falling short, as long as we come back with a heart of repentance, as long as there's brokenness in our heart before God and even before people, and there's a turning away from what we just got ourselves into, then man, God can use us to be those genuine followers again. God can still use you to draw people to him. And so what I want you guys to know tonight is that genuine disciples aim at holiness and repent when they fall short. That's what this all boils down to. Genuine disciples, genuine followers, they aim at holiness with their life. They aim at looking different. They aim at standing out from the crowd in a good way. And when they fall short, they repent. 
they come to God with some brokenness in their heart, some just genuine, real, God, I messed up. God, I love you. God, forgive me. And maybe they need to walk around and, and tell some people that saw them mess up, you know what, that was not what a Christian does. I am a Christian. But right there in that moment, I did something I, I shouldn't have done. And I just want to let you know I am sorry. You, you think the world won't think that person is genuine? I think they will. I think it might even be more powerful when someone sees you fall and you come back and say, hey, I just want to let you know that a real Christian, that's, that's not what they look like. And man, I really messed up. And I just want to own that today. And I want to apologize to you. I know I've invited you to church or I know I've told you, I go, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he matters a lot to me. And I just want you to know that what I've been showing you in my life for the last year or six months or the way I've been talking about my boss or, or the impure things I've been looking at or joking about or involved in or any of that, I just want to let you know that, that's not what a follower of Jesus does. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't look genuine to you, but I want you to know I want to be the real thing. And I'm aiming my life at God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, that will get people's attention. Don't rule yourself out because you're not perfect because it's not about being perfect. It's about being genuine. And so the kind of disciples we want to make here are those that aim at holiness. Those that aren't okay with their sin. Guys, we're all going to struggle. I struggle. There's temptation. There's hard things. There's things you've got to push away. There's, there's things you fight through by the grace of God. But are we okay with it? That's when we're not genuine. And we want followers who will repent when they fall short. Some of you guys will remember six months, a year ago, John Contest was here. And we were talking about this idea of being genuine. And we were talking about really who you are when no one's looking, right? And one of the, the things he said, I don't know if you guys remember this story, was about someone that he knew that worked in a restaurant. And one night, she got really angry, and she cursed everybody out and just freaked out on everybody, lost her temper. And everybody had known her to be this Christian. She was always inviting people to church, and she always tried to you know, be a good example. And she worked at this restaurant for years and years, and this one night, she just totally felt she destroyed all that. And so if you remember the story, the next night, she came back to work. She gathered everybody back in the kitchen that had been there the night before. And she said, I just want to let you guys know that how I acted last night was not how Jesus would want me to act. And I just want to apologize to every one of you for how I behaved. I just want you to know I love God and I'm going to you know, work to never do that again. And one of the other people that worked in the kitchen walked up to her, shook her hand in front of everybody and said, now I know you're a Christian. And you know, that's what some of us just need to do. Don't rule yourselves out because you've messed up. There's, there's hardly anybody, honestly, next to Jesus, who is there in the Bible that would have been used if their failures ruled them out? But there was still a genuine heart beating inside, right? And so they responded in love, and they responded to what God wanted to do in their lives. So we aim at holiness. Let's not compromise on that. Don't go home tonight and say, ah, oh, Doug said I'll be forgiven. God could still use me as long as I apologize to everybody. Don't use that as an excuse. Let's aim at holiness, but let's also repent when we fall short. So let me just ask you some questions. I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable. That's right. I'm going to hear them too. They're going to make me uncomfortable. In what areas of your life are you not aiming at holiness? Let's just be real. Just think. Let God search your heart. Is it your entertainment? Is it the way you, you talk? Is it purity stuff? Is it the way that you talk about people behind their back? Is it the things you get into with that certain group of friends? What are you not 
aiming at holiness? What sin are you okay with? What sin have you just kind of decided, not that big a deal, I'm just gonna let this slide and what needs to just be presented before God? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to be broken before God about and then turn from? Who do you need to have a conversation with and apologize? Who do you just need to pull aside at work or a family member and say, hey, I've been giving you an attitude for six months, man. That's not how Jesus would want me to act. Maybe, guys, some of you with your parents, you want to shock your parents for all of life? <laughs> pull that one on them tonight. Walk home. I want to tell you, mom, dad, I'm really sorry. I know God doesn't want me to act like that, and I have been. And after you revive them, just imagine what God could do in your family, right? Who do you need to start being a better witness in front of? Who do you need to start just looking more like Jesus in front of, right? That group of friends, just being willing to stand out in a good way. Here's what I want to let you know. When we answer these questions and we respond with a genuine heart, the world will take notice. God will use us. You're not ruled out because of your failure. You're not ruled out. Let's aim at holiness. Let's be the real thing. Let's be that refreshing thing that I think everybody's just looking for. You know, the Christians in your life that you look up to, I could almost guarantee every one of them is genuine. The people you want to be like, the people you want to emulate, the marriages you look at and go, man, I wish my marriage would be like that one day when I get married or the marriage I have. I wish it could become that or, you know, I wish that I'd be that dad or that mom someday, your, your parent heroes, you know, whoever you look at like that. Or, I mean, these are the kinds of people that are just, they're the real thing. They're not perfect, but I'm guessing when they mess up with their, with their uh, relationship with their spouse or they're, they're overbearing on their kids or th- they own it. And they're broken and they turn from that and God still uses them. Genuine disciples, aim at holiness and repent when they fall short. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you've seen that we understand in Christianity this is a problem and we want to see it change. And I hope even more than that you've seen that a loving God wants you to be his and desires a relationship with you and will work with you will work with you, that you would respond to his amazing love for you and then will work with you in becoming the person that he wants you to be. And so if you're a Christian, as I lead us in prayer in just a minute, would you just think through some of those questions? I'll re-ask them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love to give you an opportunity to respond to God. But let's aim our lives at holiness and repent when we fall short. Let's pray. So God, we, we look to you now. It's a harder message tonight, God. It's, it's kind of in our face. I thank you, God. Ultimately, it's it's for our good. It's to get us on these blessable roads. It's to get us out of these scenarios where sin is waging war against our souls. What peace and relief some of us could have tonight if we would just simply aim our lives at holiness. So help us, God. I know some people are out there thinking, man, it's easier said than done. And I understand that. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in us and you're able to do what we can't. So God, help us to partner with you. Holy Spirit, help us to partner with you. So if you're a Christian, what areas of your life are you not aiming at holiness? At at being dedicated to God? What, What sin are you okay with? Who do you need to have a conversation with? What do you need to repent of before God? Who do you need to start being a better witness in front of? 
And if you're, a, if you're not a Christian, I'm just going to give you a second to, to look to God who, who longs for freedom. I guarantee you, I mean, you might think I'm coming down real heavy and hard tonight on this tonight, but man, every single person who will take this seriously and walk forward will find great freedom. Every single Christian in this room that, that's hearing me say all this stuff about sin and every one of us, if we would just take God at his word and we begin to walk forward in aiming our lives at holiness, we will find new joys, new hope, new peace. Maybe we haven't had in a long time. I've experienced it in my life. I've seen so many others experience it as well. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your, your faith in Jesus tonight. No twisting anybody's arm. This is all about you. And if you feel like this is a step you want to take, but I'd encourage you to pray something like this just silently. God, I thank you that you want me to be yours. That you want me to be holy. That you want me to be dedicated to you. I pray you'll help me get off all these broken roads I've been on. I thank you that you've done so much for me and you want to do things through me. And so would you help me aim my life at holiness? Help me to be inspired by the fact that you are holy, God. Help me to be inspired by the fact that you took my place on the cross, that your blood was spilled for me. I thank you for what you've done for me, God. And I accept this gift of salvation tonight. Thank you for your love. Amen.